A Fire at Sea by Ivan Tergenev, translated by Oscar Wilde. Short Story Collection 99. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Rob Marland. A Fire at Sea. In the month of May of the year 1838, I happened to be crossing from St. Petersburg to Lübeck on the steamship Nicholas I. As at that time there was very little railway communication, every tourist took the sea route, and for the same reason many people brought their travelling carriages with them, so as to be able to continue their tour through Germany, France, and other countries. We had with us, I remember, twenty-eight private conveyances, and were in all two hundred and eighty passengers, including twenty children. I was very young at the time, and as I did not suffer at all from seasickness, I enjoyed my new experiences immensely. Some of the ladies on board were extremely pretty, and a few quite beautiful. Most of them, alas, are long since dead. It was the first time that my mother had ever allowed me to go away by myself, and before I left she made me promise to be on my best behaviour, and, above all things, never to touch a card. As it happened, it was this last promise that was the first to be broken. One particular evening there was a great gathering of the passengers in the saloon, where some well-known Russian bankers were gambling. They used to play a kind of lance canette, and the jingle of the gold pieces, which were much more common then than they are now, was quite deafening. Suddenly, one of the players, seeing that I did not join in, and not understanding why, asked me to take a hand, and when, in my boyish simplicity, I told him my reason, he went into a fit of laughter, and called out to his friends that he had made a real find, a young man who had never played cards in his life, and who consequently was quite certain to have the most extraordinary look, fool's look, in fact. I don't know how it came about, but ten minutes later I was sitting at the gambling table with a lot of cards in my hand, as bold as brass, and playing, playing like a madman. I must acknowledge that in my case the old proverb turned out true. Money kept coming to me in waves, and beneath my trembling, perspiring hands the gold piled itself up in heaps. The banker who had induced me to play never stopped for a moment urging me on, and exciting me to bet. I actually thought I had made my fortune. Suddenly the saloon door is flung wide open, a lady rushes in, cries out in a faint agonised voice, and the ship is on fire, and falls on a sofa in a dead faint. The effect was like that of an earthquake. Everybody started from his seat, the gold and the silver and the banknotes were strewn all over the cabin, and we rushed out. I cannot understand how it was that we had not noticed the smoke before. It had already reached us. In fact, the staircase was full of it, and the whole place was lit with a dull red glare, the glare of burning coal. In the twinkling of an eye, everyone was on deck. Two huge pillars of smoke were slowly rising up on each side of the funnel, and sweeping along the masts, and the uproar and tumult which began at that moment never ceased. The scene of disorder was indescribable. I felt that all the human beings on board were suddenly seized with a frantic desire for self-preservation, I myself most of all. 
i remember catching hold of a sailor by the arm and pledging him my word that my mother would give him ten thousand roubles if he saved my life the sailor naturally looked on my offer as a joke and shook me off and i did not suggest it again i felt that what i had been saying to him was perfect nonsense however i must add that everything i saw around me was quite as nonsensical how true it is that nothing comes up to the tragic side of a shipwreck but its comic side a rich landed proprietor for instance was seized with a fit of terror and flinging himself down on his face began frantically kissing the deck after he had been doing this some time it so happened that the fury of the flames abated for a moment in consequence of the great masses of water which were being pumped into the coal bunks he leapt to his feet at once drew himself to his full height and cried out in a stentorian voice o oh, ye of little faith think ye that our god the god of the russian people will suffer us to perish just then however the flames broke out worse than before and the poor man with all his faith in the god of the russian people flung himself down again on his hands and knees and returned to his deck kissing a gaunt-looking general kept bawling out a special messenger must be dispatched immediately to the emperor we dispatched a special messenger to him when the military colonies revolted and the lives of several important people were saved in consequence i myself was there in person a gentleman with an umbrella in his hand suddenly in a mad fit of passion rushed at a very ugly little oil painting that happened to be among the luggage fastened to an easel and began to stave it in it was a portrait and with the ferule of his umbrella he made five holes in it where the eyes the nose the mouth and the ears were exclaiming from time to time as he accomplished this act of vandalism what is the use of this picture now the picture did not belong to him at all a huge fat man looking like a german brewer wept floods of tears and kept calling out captain 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 in most heart-rending accents finally the captain losing all patience caught him by the collar of his coat and shouted at him well i'm the captain what do you want with me the fat brewer gazed at him blankly and with increased pathos in his voice recommenced his piteous cry of captain captain however it was the captain who really saved our lives first by altering our course which he succeeded in doing while it was still possible to enter the engine-room for if the steamer had kept on straight for lubeck instead of making at once for land it would undoubtedly have been burned to the water's edge before reaching port secondly by ordering the sailors to draw their cutlasses and to have no hesitation in cutting down any one who tried to seize either of the lifeboats i should mention that we had only two lifeboats left the others having been capsized through the carelessness of some of the passengers who had stupidly tried to launch them without knowing how it was curious to notice the involuntary feeling of respect inspired by these stern impassive sailors danes by the way most of them as they stood there with their drawn swords which in the red glare of the flames seemed blood-stained already it was now blowing a pretty strong gale and the violence of the wind was a good deal intensified by the fire which by this time was raging and roaring over more than a third of the vessel at the risk of wounding the vanity of my own sex 
I feel bound to acknowledge that during this crisis the women showed more presence of mind than most of the men did. With their pale faces and the white drapery of the bedclothes which they had hurriedly caught up when summoned from their berths, they seemed to me, sceptic though I was even at that early age, like angels come down from heaven to shame us and to give us courage. However, there were a few men who showed some pluck. I remember one particularly, Monsieur D. Blank F., our ambassador at Copenhagen. He had taken off his shoes and necktie, tied his coat round him with the sleeves across his chest, and was seated on a thick, taut rope, with his feet dangling in the air, quietly smoking a cigar, and examining us all with a look of amused pity. As for myself, I had taken refuge on the lower rungs of one of the futtock shrouds, and sat there watching with a sort of dull wonder the red foam as it boiled and churned beneath me, wetting my face now and then with a flying flake of froth, and, as I looked down into it, I kept saying to myself, So there is where I must die, at eighteen years of age, for I had quite made up my mind that it was better to be drowned than to be roasted. The flames were now shooting over my head in a great arch, and I could clearly distinguish the roar of the fire from the roar of the waves. Not far from me was sitting a little old woman, a cook, I should think, belonging to one of the families which were on their way to Europe. Her head was buried in her hands, and she seemed to be murmuring a prayer. Suddenly she looked up at me, and whether or not she thought she could see in my face the expression of some sinister resolve I cannot say, but whatever her reason was, she clutched me by the arm, and in a voice in which entreaty and sternness were strangely blended, said to me, "'No, sir, no one has absolute right over his own life, you no more than any one else. Whatever form of death God sends to you, you must submit to it. It is your duty, else you will be committing suicide, and will be punished for it in the next world.' I had really no desire at all to commit suicide, but from a sort of spirit of bravado, for which, considering the awful position I was in, I cannot at all account, I made two or three feigned attempts to carry out the purpose with which she credited me, and every time that I did so, the poor old creature rushed at me to try and prevent my accomplishing, as she thought, a great crime. At last I felt ashamed, and stopped, and indeed, with death before me, imminent and inevitable, why act? Why spend my last moments playing a comedy? However, I had no time either to analyse my own fantastic feelings, or to admire the poor old woman's want of egotism, her altruism, as we should say nowadays, for the roar of the flames over our heads became suddenly more terrible, and, simultaneously, there rang out a voice like a trumpet, the voice of our guardian angel, you fool what are you doing there you will be killed follow me immediately though we did not know who was calling to us or where we had to go up jumped this dear old woman and myself as if we had been shot from a gun and off we rushed through the smoke after a sailor in a blue jersey whom we saw climbing a rope ladder in front of us without in the slightest degree understanding why I climbed up the ladder after him, and I verily believe that at that moment, if he had thrown himself into the water, or done anything extraordinary, no matter what, I should have blindly followed his example. 
after he had clambered up two or three rounds of the ladder the sailor jumped heavily onto the top of a travelling carriage whose wheels by the way were already on fire i jumped after him i heard the old woman jump after me then from the top of the first carriage the sailor jumped onto the top of a second then onto the top of a third i keeping always behind him and finally in this way we reached the bow of the ship nearly all the passengers were assembled there the sailors under the directions of the captain were launching one of the lifeboats fortunately the largest we had across the other side of the vessel i could see the long line of the lubeck cliffs lit up by the glare of our fire they were a good deal more than a mile off i did not know how to swim and though it was probably not very deep where we had gone aground for we had struck without any of us noticing it still the waves were terribly high however the moment i caught sight of dry land i felt quite sure i was safe and to the amazement of every one who was standing near me i began to dance and to cry hip hip hurrah i did not care to join the crowd which was hustling around the steps that led to the big lifeboat there were too many women old men and children in it besides ever since i caught sight of land i did not care to hurry myself i felt so certain i was saved i remember noticing with surprise that very few of the children showed any signs of terror and that many of them were actually asleep in their mother's arms none of them were lost i remarked in the middle of the crowd of passengers a tall military-looking man leaning against a bench which he had just wrenched out of the deck and set athwart ships he stood there quite motionless his clothes all dripping with sea-water i was told that in an involuntary fit of terror he had brutally elbowed out of his way a woman who had tried to get in front of him so as to jump into one of the first lifeboats that had foundered and that on being collared by one of the stewards and thrown roughly down upon the deck the old soldier who by the way was a general had felt so ashamed of his momentary act of cowardice that he had sworn an oath that he would not leave the steamer till after every one else including the captain he was a magnificently built man with a curiously pale face his forehead was still bleeding from the blow he had received and as he stood there he looked about him with an air of deep humility as if he were asking people to forgive him in the meanwhile i had made my way over to the larboard side where i saw the smaller of our two lifeboats pirouetting on the waves like a toy boat there were two sailors in it who were making signs to the passengers to try and jump this however was not such an easy thing to do as the nicholas i stood very high out of the water and it required a good deal of skill to jump into the boat without sinking it at last however i made up my mind to have a try and began by standing on one of the anchor beams which were hung over the ship's side but just as i was about letting myself go something very heavy and very soft fell on top of me it was a woman who had thrown her arms round my neck and hung there like a log i must acknowledge that my first impulse was to catch her by her two hands and to throw her right over my head but fortunately i resisted the temptation the shock however very nearly sent us both into the sea and in we must assuredly have gone if by a piece of extraordinary good luck there had not been dangling right in front of my nose a rope belonging to some part of the rigging i made a frantic clutch at this with one hand and with this heavy lady still clinging to me hung there for a moment cutting my fingers to the bone 
i then looked down and saw that the lifeboat was right under us and putting my trust in providence let myself go every timber in the lifeboat creaked hurrah cried the sailors i left my companion in a dead faint at the bottom of the boat and turned round to look at the steamer a great mass of faces women's faces chiefly were anxiously peering at us over the side jump i cried holding out my arms jump at this particular moment the splendid success of my daring leap and the consciousness that i was well out of reach of the fire gave me the most extraordinary physical strength as well as pluck the only three women who could make up their minds to jump i caught as easily as one catches apples in an orchard i should note that every one of these ladies gave a piercing shriek when she left the steamer and fainted in mid-air one of the hapless dames was very nearly killed through a gentleman throwing an enormously heavy trunk into our boat i suppose he had gone out of his mind the trunk by the way was broken in the fall and seeing inside it an extremely handsome dressing-case i at once solemnly presented it to the two sailors without ever stopping to consider whether i had any claim to give away other people's belongings the sailors with similar disregard for the rights of property gratefully accepted my gift we then started at once for shore rowing as hard as we could and followed by cries from the steamer of come back as soon as you can send us back the boat and indeed as soon as there were only two or three feet of water we felt it our duty to get out a cold drizzling rain had been falling for about an hour and though it had had no effect at all on the fire it had succeeded in wetting us to the skin at last we reached the shore for which we had so longed but it turned out to be little better than a swamp of wet sticky mud and we sank in it up to our knees our boat went back at once and in company with a larger lifeboat began to transport the passengers from the steamer to land very few people had been lost eight i think in all one had fallen into a coal bunk and another had been drowned in an attempt to carry all his money away with him the latter whose name i just knew had spent most of the day playing chess with me and had been so excited over our games that prince w who was looking on said to him finally you must play as if it were a matter of life or death as for the luggage it was nearly all burned and so were the travelling carriages amongst the ladies who had escaped was a very pretty married woman madame t she was excessively charming though her time was a good deal taken up with her four little daughters and their nurses at the present moment she was sitting in the most desolate manner on the beach without shoes or stockings and with hardly anything over her shoulders i felt it was my duty as a gentleman to offer her every assistance in my power and as a result found myself without my coat my boots and my necktie to make matters worse a peasant whom i had been to the top of the cliff to look for and whom i had sent down to meet the shipwrecked travellers with a wagon and a pair of horses did not think it worth his while to wait for me but set off for lubeck with all my ladies so there was i left alone half naked and wet to the marrow of my bones to gaze at the sea where our ship had nearly succeeded in burning itself out i use the word succeeded advisedly as i never could have believed that such a huge affair as a big steamer could be so soon destroyed 
by this time it was merely a vast blot of fire on the sea a motionless mass of flame streaked with the black outlines of the chimneys and the masts round and round it wheeled the gulls with a sort of monotonous indifference in their flight then it ceased to be flame and became ashes a great heap of ashes spangled with tiny bright sparks which were scattered over the waves in long curving lines is this all i thought and life itself what is it but a handful of ashes strewn on the wind fortunately however for the meditative philosopher whose teeth were now beginning to chatter a second wagoner arrived to pick me up the honest fellow extorted two ducats from me but as a set-off lent me his thick coat to wrap myself up in and sang me two or three country songs that i thought rather pretty in this way i got to lubeck by sunrise and coming across my fellow sufferers left with them for hamburg here we found waiting for us twenty thousand roubles which the emperor nicholas who happened at the moment to be on his way to berlin had sent by one of his equerries there was a meeting of the male passengers at which it was decided that this money should be handed over to the women our generosity did not really put us to much inconvenience as at that time every russian who came to germany was allowed unlimited credit alas those golden days are over the sailor to whom i had promised the enormous sum of money in my mother's name if he saved my life came and asked me to carry out my agreement as i was not quite sure of his identity and as in any case he had done nothing at all for me i gave him one taler he took it and thanked me warmly as for the poor old cook who had shown such an interest in the salvation of my soul i never saw her again but whether she was burned or whether she was drowned i am quite sure that she has a special place set apart for her in paradise end of a fire at sea